everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Recorded live. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister.
Good morning, this is the Morning Gospel Program, More Inspirations, on this fifth Sunday. Today is from Psalms 92, verses 1 through 5. It's, good, it's a good thing to give thanks unto the Lord, and sing praises unto thy name, O Most High. Shoot forth thy loving kindness, morning, thy faithfulness every night. On an instrument of ten strings, upon the sultry, the heart of a solemn sound. Thou, Lord, hast made me glad to thy work. I would not kiss thy, thy hand. Lord, how great thy works. Thoughts are very deep. Read to you the 92nd Ephesians. For the people of God. Good morning.
this is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Good morning. Shalom on the Gospel Program. Morning Inspirations here to talk to you. Now time for our morning prayer. Dear Father God, we come before you this morning saying thank you. Thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for keeping us, sustaining us. Throughout tonight and into the morning. Thank you, Lord, for all the strength of for the loving kindness and grace and mercy.
let's face it, many of the critics of the church make valid points. All too often we have put the purity of dogma ahead of the integrity of love. All too often Christians have misused faith as a substitute for thought, when faith, in fact, is what makes good thinking possible. And so it goes without saying that the stumbling block for most sensitive non-believers is not Christ, but Christians. That's the Reverend Dr. Steve Montgomery. I'm Peter Wallace, and this is a new day of faith and hope. This is Day One. Welcome to Day One, the weekly program that brings you outstanding preachers from America's mainline Protestant churches sharing insight and inspiration from God's Word for your life. In 2015, Day One celebrates 70 years of faithful weekly broadcasts. Now, here's our host, Peter Wallace, to introduce today's preacher. Thanks, Sherry. We're delighted to have back with us today the Reverend Dr. Stephen R. Montgomery, pastor of Idlewild Presbyterian Church in Memphis, Tennessee, where he has served since 2000. Steve is a graduate of the College of Worcester in Worcester, Ohio. He earned his Master of Divinity degree from Yale Divinity School and a Doctor of Ministry degree from Columbia Theological Seminary. Steve, thanks for being with us again. It's wonderful being back, Peter. We heard last week about some of the ministries your church engages in, one of which is the More Than a Meal program serving homeless persons. Other churches might be interested in launching a similar outreach. So how did that program get started and develop? The incredible thing about this, Peter, is this started when we didn't even have a pastor. It started just a few months before I came there in Mm -hmm. 2000. And some of the members of the church realized that the homeless trends were shifting from downtown Midtown. And rather than just opening up a soup kitchen, taking a look at the text from Scripture, we found that the risen Christ is found at the table on a number of occasions when he broke bread with his disciples. Then new meaning, new purpose was found. And so what we did is we started out small with a small group of very committed people. We're fortunate to have an excellent kitchen staff who began preparing good, hot meals for people. I think for the first few months there were 35 or 40. Now it turns out that we have about 125 to 150. The upside is that we're feeding a lot of people, both spiritually and physically. The downside is that we want to sit down at table with them and get to know them as people and get to know their names. It's easier to do that when they're 35 or 40 than 125 or 50. But I would say start somewhere. Start out small. And then we'll see what the Spirit does. Recently, you asked your congregation, do you have your own elevator talk? In other words, what what could you say to someone in the time it takes to go up a few floors about your church? Tell us more about what that elevator talk might involve and why it's important. I think it's important because uh, there are a lot of people out there in the world that want to be a part of a church, but because of various reasons, they haven't been a part of it. We're trying to find ways to open up a discussion that is not threatening, that is not hellfire and damnation, that doesn't hit people over the head, but rather invites. And so part of that involves listening to where people are. And if there's a young person that's new in town, 
then you have an elevator talk about, you know, we have a young adults group that I think is what is something that you're looking for. Or if it's someone who is likes to sing and misses that, well, we have a choir and a great choir director that we think you love. Any number of opportunities, it begins with listening to where people are mm-hmm. and then coming up with that elevator talk that might engage them and want them to come inside and see. How can churches be more intentional about addressing questions that visitors might have, like, will I know God's love here? How is this church different? How can God use me here? First of all, it comes through time. As we know, there are a lot of churches out there that have signs that say, all are welcome here. Mm -hmm. And quite frankly, the truth is, all are not welcome there. So it begins internally by taking a look at ourselves and asking ourselves, do we really want to open the doors to our church? And what would that entail? At Idlewild, it means, yes, opening the doors to uh, some of the homeless that come in, and some have joined the church and gotten involved. Uh, But it also means, how are we willing to change? What are we willing to let go of in order to open our doors more widely? We have a new vision statement that we actually wrote several years ago, and the catch line at the end has really caught on to everyone, I think. It begins, Idlewild Presbyterian Church is a community in which, and it ends, and all who enter find a home. Mm -hmm. And so everything we do now is geared towards helping all who enter find a home. Mm Your sermon today is based on Acts chapter 4, verses 5 to 12. Would you read the text for us? I'll be glad to. The next day their rulers, elders, and scribes assembled in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and all who were of the high priestly family. When they had made the prisoners stand in their midst, they inquired, By what power or by what name do you do this? Then Peter Filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers of the people and elders, if we are questioned today because of a good deed done to someone who is sick and are asked how this man has been healed, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that this man is standing before you in good health by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders. It has become the cornerstone. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among mortals by which we must be saved. Sounds like Peter had a little more than an elevator talk there ready. Steve, we look forward to learning more about this in your sermon today, By What Power. Thanks for being with us. It's been my pleasure. And if you'd like to listen again to today's program or read or share a transcript of Steve Montgomery's sermon, visit our website at dayone.org. Or for a free printed sermon transcript, call us toll-free at 1-888-411-DAY1. ago, there was an article in Time magazine which described how over 100,000 former Christians have downloaded certificates of de-baptism in a bid to publicly renounce the faith. 
The website, sponsored by the National Secular Society of London, invited visitors to liberate yourself from the original mumbo-jumbo that liberated you from the original sin you never had, and allows them to print out a paper certificate that uses quasi-formal language to reject baptisms, creeds, and other such superstitions. Churches have become so reactionary, so politically active, that people actually want to make a protest against them now, the society's president says. They're not just indifferent anymore. They're actively hostile. He says that every time a preacher or religious leader says something outrageous, like hateful comments about Muslims or calling gays an abomination or blaming the poor for their poverty, they get another rush on the demand for certificates. And, of course, there is a tidy profit to be made. You can get these certificates printed on parchment at only $4.50. That adds up. It seems to be catching on. In Italy, the Union of Rational Atheists and Agnostics sponsored the country's first-ever de-baptism day, in which the no longer faithful had a de-baptism ceremony and signed de-baptism forms. I wonder what a de-baptism ceremony looks like. I de-baptize you in the name of what? I de-baptize you in the name of secular humanism, in the name of atheists and agnostics, in the name of the God of the omnipotent self. I don't want to make light of this too much. A whole sermon could be preached on the theology of baptism, emphasizing that baptism isn't so much something that we do, but rather it's a response to something that God has already done. It is an acknowledgment that God was already active in our lives even before we were aware of it, and no certificate can take away God's love and grace. No ceremony can diminish the power of water to give life and clean. But let's face it, many of the critics of the church make valid points. All too often we have put the purity of dogma ahead of the integrity of love. All too often we have taken the rich, sparkling wine of the gospel and turned it into the dull, dreary dishwater of everyday culture, reversing the gospel. All too often Christians have misused faith as a substitute for thought, when faith, in fact, is what makes good thinking possible. And so it goes without saying that the stumbling block for most sensitive non-believers is not Christ, but Christians, especially when Christians are so tied to issues of control and power that they don't allow room for the Spirit of Christ to liberate lives and even institutions. It was Annie Dillard who quipped, what a tragedy that so closely on the heels of Christ come the Christians. Which leads us to our scripture from Acts. Peter and John had been heading up to the temple in Jerusalem at about 3 o'clock in the afternoon when they saw a man who had been lame since birth begging by the gate. Peter says, I have no gold or silver, but what I have I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, stand up and walk. And the man not only stands and walks, but starts leaping around in exultation and delight. One would think that the whole community would start leaping around as well, and they might have, had Peter been able to keep his mouth shut. 
he starts preaching. I wasn't the one that did this. It wasn't our power at all that caused this healing. It was the power of God and the power of faith in the name of Jesus. Well, he kept on preaching, and then finally he and John were arrested. Then they appear before the big guns of the faith. They're the priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees, and they aren't singing hallelujahs because a desperately needy man was healed. They are angry. And the reason for the backlash becomes clear in their questions. By what power did you do this? See how adept they were at reframing the issue? The issue was no longer healing, resurrection, and the mercy of God. Now the issue is power. They did not ask, how did this happen, or what is the meaning of this? They asked, where did you get the power to do this? Who authorized you to do and say these things? Here's what I think was happening. You've heard of people with control issues. That's the religious authorities to a T. They wanted people to be faithful and prayerful, but to do so only under the exclusive banner of the temple and its protocols. But what we find again and again in these stories of the early church in Acts was the first century pandemic of the Holy Spirit that spread like wildfire. The followers of Jesus could not be contained by normal channels or regulated by rules and structures. Luke wrote the book of Acts, and notice how he viewed religious authority and institutional structures. He wasn't anti-institutional. If I had a dime for every time I heard someone say, I am spiritual but not religious, I could retire today. Luke was actually pro-temple, pro-religious institution. Right after Pentecost, the gift of the Holy Spirit to the church, he writes that followers of Jesus spent much time together in the temple. Remember where Peter and John were going when they came across the beggar? They were on their way to the temple to pray. And in these early chapters depicting the first century church, we find that the Christian movement already had an organizational structure. They would have Bible study, meals, fellowship and prayer, and evangelism programs, and outreach to the poor. It's right there in Acts 2. So the issue in the scripture before us is not anti-institutional in nature. Something else is going on. And I think Tom Long, professor of preaching at Emory University, hits the nail on the head when he asks the question, is the institution responsive to the spirit or is it curved in on itself? Listen to how he puts it. Whenever political or religious authorities set themselves up as the only legitimate broker of what people need and defend that authority, inevitably, the Holy Spirit breaks down those structures. Some of you remember in your own lifetime when Jim Crow laws excluded African Americans from full participation in public life. But there was an outbreak of the Spirit which summoned civil rights leaders, mainly from the churches, who challenged such structures. You see, these temple authorities and acts were not interested in the spirit. They were interested in temple authority for its own sake. By what power do you do these things, they wanted to know. Who told you to do this? The message was clear. If the disciples wanted to do religious business in Jerusalem, then they needed to get a license from the temple power brokers. 
That's the kind of authority that needs to be questioned. By the power of the name of Jesus, answered Peter and John. That power can be threatening, even frightening. Some of us remember how scared we were, or our parents were, when our political, social, and religious institutions began to change in ways that reflect the spirit of the risen Christ, and all of God's children could eat where they wanted and live where they wanted and vote the way they wanted and worship where they wanted. At the church I serve in Memphis, a number of people left the church in the early 1960s when the pastor in the session of Idlewild unambiguously claimed that this was God's church, not our church, and any child of God was welcome here thus affirming what was always true in the heart of God. But the church had been slow to see that we are all God's children, and the Spirit of God was blowing across the nation and the church in unsettling ways, but ways that reflected the mind of Christ. It can be scary when our institutions are responsive to the Holy Spirit, which wrestles power and control from us. The Sadducees, bless their hearts as we say in the South, just wanted to protect their culture, their way of life, their tradition, their faith from the threat of corruption of new ideas and new practices. They weren't bad people. Let's make that clear. They just insisted on hanging on to the old dogmas that had been handed down through the centuries in order to keep things stable and quiet and peaceful. But Tom Wright reminds us that the resurrection is a radical departure from the status quo. He writes about the Sadducees that if God suddenly does such a drastic thing, they, to put it mildly, cannot guarantee that they will end up in power in the new world that God is going to make. In other words, this text reminds us of the power of the risen Christ to transform, but also the resistance to that change from those with a stake in the status quo. Now for the hard question. In what ways is the spirit of the risen Christ moving across our land, our churches today, that are upsetting and unsettling to those in power? Now, this may seem paradoxical, but I would like to suggest that that very spirit is present in our increasingly diverse, multi-faith world. That can be very threatening to many. I've seen full-page ads in newspapers that have used this very text, especially verse 12, where Peter states that there is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ, to promote a rather exclusive view of salvation. I am not saying that it doesn't matter what you believe as long as you're sincere, or that all religions are the same. Not at all. But Peter found the power to heal, not in a mental exercise or a doctrine or dogma that separates those who believe from those who do not, but in the transforming relationship with Jesus Christ. His distinction in his speech in Acts 4 was between the stifling power agenda of the rulers and the transforming power of God in the name of Jesus. Some of the most treasured relationships I've developed over the past 10 years or so have been with some of my Muslim friends in Memphis. Our church has had a series of intentional dialogues with members of the Islamic Center there. We studied together, ate in each other's homes, and prayed in each other's houses of worship. 
it has been transformative for me and for all who were involved. They've reminded us that we have more in common in our religious perspectives than differences. I found a fierce faith in the oneness of God that we have, which commends the oneness of all people. They want peace just as much as we want peace. They have spoken out strongly against the more radical, terroristic elements of their own faith. The problem is that the media has paid no attention to those statements. But here's the point. Whereas such relationships can be threatening to those who are trying to protect the country and the faith that they love from the corrupting ideas of the 21st century, as well as protecting their power, perhaps, I have found in my relationships with people of other faiths the expanding, transforming spirit of Jesus. I have found that kind of openness and respect, listening, really listening to each other, is a way of salvation, healing, wholeness, as we work together on behalf of those who are suffering in wars, poverty, and hatred. It is because of the spirit of the risen Christ that we are able to draw wider circles of relationships, of inclusivity, of appreciation, even with those of different faiths. Could it be that the spirit of the risen Christ is warming our hearts, gradually prying our fists open that we might let go of the structures and laws and dogmas within our church that have kept us from being responsive to the Holy Spirit? It can be scary, I know. Peter was so alive with the spirit that he could not refrain himself until he was crucified upside down. As for me, I'll take my cues from Jesus of Nazareth, who crossed every boundary, broke down every barrier, manifesting his freedom and called others to theirs. And I'll take my cues from the risen Christ, whose first words to Mary in the tomb were, Do not be afraid. I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, we say at our baptisms, which means, of course, that God is never through with us. The God who created us in God's very image and loves us all, the Son who came not to condemn, but to bring healing and salvation, and the Holy Spirit which challenges and confronts even long-held assumptions so that we might leap and dance at newfound freedom. That is a power that cannot be thwarted, even through a certificate. Let us pray. What a beautiful, wonderful world you have given us, O God. Make us ever mindful of the depth and breadth of your love for us, given in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived for us, died for us, rose for us, and reigns in power today for us. Amen. This is Sherry Miller. Why should you support the Day One Radio Ministry? Because it's helping countless people like you. For instance, Brenda, a listener in Pennsylvania, says, Every Sunday, Day One gives me a message I can carry throughout my week. Mike in Minnesota says, There's not another program like Day One. It allows you to hear the Word of God from so many gifted voices. Please, give generously so Day One can continue to proclaim this much-needed message 
on the radio and online. Mail your gift to Day One, 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia 30305. That's 2715 Peachtree Road, Atlanta, Georgia 30305. Or call us at 1-888-411-DAY1. Or give securely online at dayone.org. On behalf of everyone at Day One, thank you for your support. offer some final reflections on today's message with our host, Peter Wallace. Steve, you told us of a news story about increasing numbers of people who are requesting certificates of de-baptism because of the problems they see in many churches today. You admitted that we do too often put the purity of dogma ahead of the integrity of love and turn the rich, sparkling wine of the gospel into the dull, dreary dishwater of everyday life. How could you counsel us? How can we present and live out our faith in more positive ways? I think it begins by being centered in the community. You cannot be a Christian by yourself. Hmm. And I would say find a church community, a faith community, that you feel not just comfortable in, because sometimes we need to be discomforted Mm -hmm. by the Spirit. Mm -hmm. But find a community in which you feel safe to share your joys, your heresies, your sorrows, a community in which you can join with and rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And then at that point, you begin to understand the depth of God's love for you, and then how can you help but go and share it with others? In the story in Acts 4, Peter and John get arrested for healing a man and raising a ruckus, and they're dragged before the religious authorities who demand to know by what power they did this, who authorized them to do and say these things. You said these leaders had control issues. That problem still infects many in the church today. And so what are we getting wrong here? Well, our society and our world is changing at a dizzying pace, and the church is a part of that. And so the first response of many is to have the same response that the Sadducees and the leaders had back then, and that was one of fear. I think the first thing we need to do is realize where our trust lies, and that is in God and in the person of Jesus Christ. We become centered in that. And then once we get that into the very depths of our being, we become free. We become free, maybe not to go out as Peter and John did and with that kind of emotion and passion preach on street corners and get arrested, but still we become free to be ourselves as God created us to be. And I think others will notice if we are authentically Christian, if we are authentically wanting to share what we have with other people who don't have it. The Holy Spirit is at work in the world and the church today, and that can be threatening, even frightening. How might we prepare ourselves better to join in the work of God rather than reacting to what's changing? The answer is pretty simple, Peter, and that is I think it begins in worship. Hmm. I think it needs to go beyond that, of course, because if we just come to worship on Sunday mornings, then 
we aren't nurtured the way I think we need to do. We need to find communities within communities, especially those of us in larger churches, the secret of uh, whether it's growth, both spiritual growth or physical growth, is to find small communities within that larger church in which we can grow in grace. The term grow in grace is one that I've learned from our associate pastor, Gail Walker, uh, who is retiring this weekend. We have moved from just intellectually growing, growing in our mind, but rather trying to discern what it means to grow in our relationship with Jesus Christ, to become disciples, followers of Jesus Christ. Steve Montgomery, thank you for being with us. Thanks so much, Peter. It's been fun. Day One is the voice of America's mainline Protestant churches. Visit us online at dayone.org. Our program is recorded and edited by Donald Jones and produced by Peter Wallace. Thank you for joining us. I'm Sherry Miller wishing you all God's blessings on day one and forever. You're listening to the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
Don't you? 
reason Yep, I had you in my heart, but I guess I relax Like I'm living for the wrong reasons Through the seasons Trying to fall for you, but then they put me on blast It's like I try to speak my mind because I know that I'm his And yep, I try to speak my mind, but it don't fly with them kids Man, if I'm not talking about the newest Nikes or releases They put the mute on me I can't speak about my Jesus like I'm living for him I'm slipping this in I turn around and make the amends I try to fit in I dust it up and stumble again I'm taking this pen and writing everything So I remember just how sweet that it is Yeah, man, I got issues, I can't even lie My only saving grace is knowing I got you inside I'm done with saving face, I don't got a thing to hide So don't leave me alone, keep coming day and night Praise the Lord, praise the Lord. This is Evangelist Bobby Baker broadcasting live on the Sunrise Broadcasting Network. Jesus loves you no matter who you are or what you've done. Today is the day of salvation. Come to Jesus today and be saved. He died on the cross and shed his blood that you might have everlasting life. It's not his will that any should perish, but that all should receive salvation and live with him forever and ever in heaven. Jesus wants you to be saved. He gave his life that you could be saved. He offers his salvation to everyone who comes into this world. No matter who you are, Jesus loves you. No matter what you've done, Jesus loves you. No matter what you will do in the future, Jesus loves you. He wants to save your soul. He says today is the day of salvation. We don't know when he's coming back to get his children. We don't know when this world is going to end. We don't know when we're going to take our last breath. But we do know all of these things will happen. Are you ready to face judgment? Are you ready to stand before a living God and answer for the things that you've done in your life? Are you sure of your eternal destination? Are you sure that you will go to heaven? If you have any doubts in your mind, Today is the day to get those doubts out and know for sure where you're going when you leave this world. Everybody that comes into this world is going to leave this world. We're not going to stay here. Jesus Christ is coming back, and he's going to receive his children unto himself that they might be with him 
wherever he is. Be with him forever in glory. Not because of what we've done, but because of what Jesus Christ has done. When he hung on the cross and shed his blood, he brought deliverance to everyone in the world. If you'll only believe in your heart and confess with your mouth. In Jesus' name, amen. This is Ann Graham Lotz with Daily Light for Daily Living. As the runners flew around the track in the Summer Olympics of 1992, one pulled up on the backstretch and limped to a stop. He'd pulled a hamstring. As the crowd stood, a man ran out of the stands to the young athlete. The microphones picked up the runner's words. Dad, you've got to help me across the finish line. I've trained all my life for this race. The father put his arm around his son, and together they limped across the finish line to a standing ovation. In John 14, 16, Jesus promises, I will ask the Father, and he will give you another counselor to be with you forever. Think about it. In this race of life, when you think you can't go one more step, you can. The Holy Spirit will wrap his everlasting arms around you. He will walk with you to the finish. This is Ann Graham Lott. Hey, churchgoers, looking for a little morning inspiration? Well, listen to Morning Inspirations and the Jam Radio Network with Minister Kenneth Jenkins. Yeah, huh? yeah.
Remember, Sunday is not a day. This Sunday is not a day off. It's a day on. Good morning to you and yours. I know a place where we can go to lay the troubles down, eating your soul. I know a place where mercy flows. Take the things, make you wider than snow. Like a
30 years after his last march in a college band, parade enthusiast Fred Diaz took a big step. Soon after 9-11, he said, this is my calling, this is my time. And he formed the Alamo City Community Marching Band. Unlike Fred's college days, this band was for adults. Adults with experience or not, it didn't matter. This marching band was for doctors and lawyers, heavy equipment operators and plumbers. It was for anyone who shared Fred's passion for the camaraderie, the teamwork of a band playing and marching in step. This is Howard Butt Jr. of Laity Lodge. Do you know your calling? Is this your time? What are you waiting for? What is your next big step in the high calling of our daily work? Looking for a lift? Experience a seat from the sore with Michael Guido of Metter, Georgia. A man had fallen and the preacher asked, Sam, why didn't you say, get behind me, Satan? I did, he replied, but Satan said to me, since we're both going in the same direction, it makes no difference who leads. There are only two ways, our Lord said. Heaven can be entered only through the narrow gate. The highway to hell is broad, and its gate is wide enough for all the multitudes who choose its easy way. But the gateway to life is small, and the road is narrow. Only a few ever find it. Our Lord said, I have set before you the way of life and the way of death. It's your move. For your free copy of Dr. Guido's daily devotional, Seeds from the Sore, write The Sore, Metter, Georgia, 304-39. Visit us on the web at thesower.com. Hi, I'm Johnny Erickson Cotta. And back on our family farm in Maryland, there was a gurgling spring down by the barn. Its water spilled over the trough creating a stream that ran down into the river. Crayfish and tadpoles made their home in that stream. Rabbit and deer would drink from it, and thick green grass and reeds lined its sides. It's the nature of a spring to overflow into a stream, always giving, always moving from the source to the river's end, always providing life to the critters and creatures that from it drink. And that's the way Jesus describes his followers in John chapter 7. He says, Whoever believes in me, streams of living water will flow from within him. A follower of Jesus should not reflect a life that's sluggish or inactive, because the Holy Spirit who resides in you should be your constant source of freshness. So, friend, get with the flow. Be a stream of water for the dry and thirsty people around you. Have you ever wondered why you do the good things you do? Hi, this is Jonathan Falwell. And you know, serving God is a wonderful thing, and it should be an outpouring of our love for Him and for His children. But it's awfully easy sometimes to get absorbed in our own emotional needs and forget our true purpose in getting involved in helping, in volunteering. When you serve God and are doing great things for God, I hope and pray that you aren't doing them because you want to be somebody or that you want to fit in, but rather you are doing them because you want to be closer to God that you are closer to the power of God in your life, and it's a natural outflow of that closeness that makes you want to serve him. You see, God is not so much interested in our service as he is interested in our hearts. We've got to refocus the heart. We have to make sure that our heart is in the right place when it comes to serving God. He's saying to regulate your life. Figure out what that means for you so that you can walk in the Spirit. 
You need to understand what it means to walk in the power of God so that you can have all that God intends for you. The things that we do for God and our outward activities will never allow us to fulfill our mission unless our heart is truly fixed on Him. As Christians, we are called to be many things, but the most important thing is to be called a child of God. One-on-one with Pastor Jonathan. To receive his daily audio devotional free by email each day, visit Falwell.com. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32 tell us, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you, with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ also forgave you. There's no way we can defeat our enemy as long as we use his weapons against our brothers and sisters in Christ. As Paul warned us in the book of Ephesians, chapter 6, verse 12, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Bitterness, wrath, anger, malice, these things are not of God. The weapons he has given us to defeat these things include kindness, tenderheartedness, and forgiveness. Paul tells us in Romans chapter 12, verse 18, If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men. And in verse 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Those commands are intended for us today, every bit as much as they were intended for the Christians in Rome. Jeep. This is Morning Inspirations with Minister Kenneth Jenkins.
racism. The solution's actually simple. Answers with Ken Ham, whose ministry is building a full-size Noah's Ark south of Cincinnati, Ohio. Many people have tried to solve the problem of racism, but without success. But the remedy is actually rather easy. If people in every culture simply accepted the history of the world according to the Bible and built their thinking on God's word, then racism would virtually disappear. But because we live in a world where the majority of people reject the Bible, then the racism problem is not going to be solved. Christians everywhere should be shouting from the hilltops that the Bible teaches that all people are of one blood, one race of people. They are different races. Today's various people groups came about as a result of God giving different languages at the time of the Tower of Babel. This would have caused different peoples to go in different directions, thus developing into various groups. Genesis also tells us that all people have a sin problem. They need to trust Christ and conform their thinking to his teaching. If everyone accepted this, well, there'd be no racism. One great resource to help you understand this question of the origin of humans is our new pocket guide. In 96 pages, we'll answer your questions about the origin of humans and the so-called ape men. For your donation of any size, we'll mail it to you. Call toll-free 1-888-89-ANSWERS or go to our website of answersoffer.org. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.